All right, uh, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to read all of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and part of chapter 9. It's going to be on the screen. Um, grateful last week Ben Lillard preached for us, one of our ruling elders, um, and it's great for me to just be able to receive the word and to, to listen to just be here on a pew just like everybody else. And uh, it also makes, makes it fun again for me to jump back up and say, hey, I want to do that again. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting at the first verse. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All of this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city, For they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God." There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him and his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, And see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. 
Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask for your help to hear, to receive, to respond. We ask that your Holy Spirit would apply these words, would slice us open, would bind us up. And God, we pray that the response of our hearts would be to love you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This, this section of this book is dealing with several things, but I would suggest to you that the central kind of question here, starting with this discussion of the king and all the way to this end of the section that I read, is the question of justice, of how things can be considered to be fair and to be good and to be right when it seems like what should happen does not and the things that should not happen do. You can hear that he says it seems like plenty of times the wicked are treated as if they're righteous and the righteous are treated as if they're wicked. The question of justice is central to humans. And if you have spent time with little children or if you can remember being a little child, you know that this is one of the first things that you learn to scream at your parents in regards to the treatment of your siblings. It is not fair, is the cry of every little justice warrior that lives in my house. It is not fair. Why do they get to do this and I have to do that? Why do I have to do this and they don't have to do that? I've got to stack the cups in the thing too many times. It's their turn. I get to... It is not fair. And it's not just my children or your children. It was me. I remember very, very vividly feeling that as the firstborn and only son, that the whole system of my family was tilted to advantage my younger sisters. Now, I'm, I am pretty confident that each one of my sisters also felt like the system was tilted against them and towards us, towards me. And they're wrong, and I was right, but I definitely remember that feeling. And I just remember hearing over and over again the response of my father and my mother. Well, life isn't fair, is it? Ugh, I knew you were going to say it. It's so annoying. I get it, but this isn't fair. I don't care about life. I care about this thing. They should have to do what I have to do. The question of justice is central to what it means to be human and it is intended to be so. 
in the beginning of, of Ecclesiastes 8, you can see that God has ordained the office of governors, of kings, for the promotion of justice. And this is not the only place that this teaching is given to us in Scripture. Over and over and over again, the king is put forward in royal psalms, in Romans chapter 12 and 13. The king is there to promote justice. And you can hear that the king is supposed to be acting justly so that if you go before the king, you ought to believe that you should unquestioningly obey what the king commands because the king is representing justice to you and you don't want to fall, fall afoul of that. But we live in a world where our longings are not fulfilled. Where the kings and the, the governors, the elected officials of this world are often not the representatives of justice that we long for and they were meant to be. Now, today, people can't often even discern what is the path of justice and are not even asking the question of what is just. They're usually just asking, how does my guy or my woman promote the agenda of my favorite team or at least oppose the agenda of the other team, which I hate. The question of what actually is just isn't really even on the table in our culture. And when it is, it is a profoundly contested question. If you even bring up in a public setting what is just, what should be done in our society, what does justice mean? People will go to war over that word and cannot come to any kind of agreement. But justice is profoundly important. Nobody gets to just have this word. None of us should just forget this word. Because to see what is just and right and good in society is incredibly important in the world that God has made. Never mind even just are we thinking about it in our elections or things like that. The question can also be pushed down to us. What happens when the representative of justice themselves is an agent of injustice? They're not just bad at their job of promoting justice or enforcing justice. What do we do? What happens when this agent and representative of justice who should be speaking with this kind of commanding authority to do what is right, what happens when they use all of their authority and all of their power to do what is wrong? When somebody has all the power and leverages it for injustice, the destruction is so widespread. It is almost impossible to comprehend. When I, when I moved to South Africa, when I moved to Cape Town in 2008, Cape Town is a beautiful city wrapped around a beautiful little mountain chain that runs straight in to the ocean. There is wealth everywhere. I've never seen 
so many Maseratis and Lamborghinis and Ferraris in my entire life as when I lived in Cape Town. People come from all over the continent, all over the world to live in Cape Town. And if you get in a car and drive about 30 minutes away from the city center, you come to poverty that you and I cannot not comprehend. There are literally millions of people living in shacks. Pieces of iron and fencing hammered together with dirt floors, row after row after row after row, no private bathrooms, communal bathrooms where sewage is often not contained and cared for as it should be. And this happened because the kings, the representatives, the governors, often in the name of Jesus, might I add, literally put bulldozers in the middle of Cape Town and pushed every black person out that they could. A white minority in Cape Town that had all of the power, leveraged all of the power for injustice. And it's not like when apartheid ended in the early 90s, we were able to say, boom, we fixed this. Because all of the shacks still exist. And millions of people live there, not that they remember what happened, but it happened to their parents or their grandparents. They've lived generationally in shacks and shanty towns. This is what they and their family know. And now, since the early 90s, the question has been, how do we fix this? How can we possibly, okay, apartheid is over, and what do we do? These people need real houses. How do you do that? How do you provide and build housing for millions of people? This is just Cape Town. This is happening in Johannesburg and Pretoria and all over South Africa. We're talking about the majority lived under injustice for decades and decades, for generations. What do you do with this kind of mass carnage wreaked by unjust rulers? You can't just say justice is we fixed the rules, we fixed the system, it doesn't work that way, and now everything is fine. Everything is not fine. And then new kings grab the reins of power. And for the past 30 years, South Africans have watched a new generation of corrupt politicians siphon all of their wealth into their own private compounds and away from the shanty towns. Who suffers when the king is unjust? Everybody. It is not just the, just the poor who suffer. They suffer the most. But when you talk to South Africans about what it was like and what happened when you lived under apartheid, when you watched even the comfortable white minority, 
the destructiveness of injustice as the law of the land was corrosive and powerful on the hearts of people who had full plates and comfortable housing. Injustice is terrible. And Christians who read the Bible cannot escape the kind of questions that the teacher is asking in Ecclesiastes, where is justice? How is this not something that we should care about? How is, it, how is all of theology, how is all of Christian thought supposed to just be, well, as long as I know what's going to happen to me when I die, I don't have to think about these questions. This is the world that God made and he cares. When injustice is the law of the land, it is a tragedy. It is complex. It is destructive. When the king does not command the way that the teacher describes. So the question is, where is justice? And the teacher makes this more personal. You may just say, well, look, this is too complicated. Systems, governments, blah, blah, blah. I really don't want to deal with that. I hear you. But the question of justice is both bigger and smaller than systems of, of power and political authority. My assumption is that, that many, most, perhaps everyone in here, has experienced being wronged by people around them who have been inflicted wounds and damage by people who have emotional, social, relational, ecclesial authority. That the work of injustice is not just in our history books. It's not in some other country. It's not just in South Africa. It's not, it's not just part of our distant past. It is part of your recent history that you know you have been wronged. And if everybody else could see what you've seen, they would know it. And some of you are suffering from a kind of injustice that even if everyone saw, no one would feel or understand like you. You are isolated and alone under this kind of misuse of authority and power. You understand what, what the teacher is saying when he says, the wicked one went into the church, to the assembly, and was praised, and went out amongst the city and was honored. And you are looking at what has happened to you by those people over there or that person. And you are saying, I know what that feels like to see the other person, the wicked one, getting honor and having nothing happening to them. And all of the pain has fallen on me. Where is the justice? Who will make this right? And the teacher does not answer this question. His response to this questioning is, who can understand the ways of God? Who can understand what is in his hand and what he is doing? Ultimately, what he says in the beginning of chapter 9 
is the arc of this story for you and the person or people who has wounded you or broken you is going to the exact same destination, the grave. Everybody is going to land at the same spot. And if that is the case, what are we left with? The need and the quest for justice is not an academic exercise. It is not a social and political program. The need and the craving for justice is tied into what it means to be a human being. And this question has probably been on your lips on one scale or another for a very long time. And here is what I'm going to tell you. You will probably never have your wounds resolved. The thing that you wish would happen, that you would long for happening, even to pursue justice, which is a good thing, no one will speak to the the wounds and scars that you carry in totality. That you, in fact, will arrive at your grave as your, your abuser, your wounder, the one who has unknowingly or maybe knowingly hurt you, they're going to their grave too, and this will never be sewn up nice and tight. Where is justice? If you and I were made for justice and we have such a problem seeing it, where might we find it? You were meant to ask this question. This is why these questions are in Ecclesiastes. As difficult and painful and as uncomfortable as they are, they are in the text, remaining there for a reason. You and I were meant to ask it, to long for it, to work towards justice justice even. But where is it? And the thing that we have that gives us any kind of hope that there is actual justice in the world is the cross. There, There are very few options available to you. You can look at the pain and the injustice of this world and you can say, this is just the way it is. This is actually the way the world is and there's nothing you can do about it. You might as well buckle up. You might as well distract yourself. You might as well... Grit your way through it, but this is just the way the world is. The powerful succeed, the weak are trampled, and that's how it is. We can stop crying about it, and we can just move on. Or you can look at everything in you crying out for justice and hear the fact that you are longing for something you were meant to crave. And if that is the case, the only God who answers the cry for justice with any sort of tangible, concrete, historical answer is the God who put himself there. Because the cross is planted in real dirt so that you and I would understand that God sees the wickedness of the world and he will not remain passive or distant or separate from it. He sees that the kings of this world are misusing the power that he made for their use for the benefit of all people. 
He sees and understands that the things that have been silently afflicted on you are things that he himself would take up and bring to himself. The God of the cross is the God who says that justice matters now and justice will not cease to matter because the God who is crucified is the God who is resurrected, is the God who will complete the act of justice that he has always been about doing in the world. So if you have any hope for any kind of justice in the world, you must see Jesus. If your heart is broken over the systems of this world and the way that all kinds of powerless minority people have been trampled upon with no recourse, the generations of black people in South Africa are already dead and never had anything given to them or done for them, you must see Jesus. He is the only one who, on a scale both individual and cosmic, is the one who is able to, willing to, and is working to bring the great justice of God the High King. And if you are bearing in your own body and soul the wounds of the things done to you, only Jesus would keep the scars on his resurrected body so that you would know for certain that he has seen and he has heard and he has come for you. You may not ever hear a resolution to the question, where is justice? Unless you can look into the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus Christ and understand that there is the justice of God for me and for all people. And it is only that hope that offers to us all a word of mercy. Because the truth is that we have been stepping around this whole time is that I myself have been an agent of injustice, misuse of power, and wounding in other people in my own sin. That I want justice in this world for everybody but me. I don't want the hammer of justice to fall on me. I want the hammer of justice to fall on every other unjust person out there. But the cross tells a deeper and better truth. That I can be delivered not only from the wounding of others, but from my own complicity in the systems of this world, in the darkness that I've contributed, in the sin of my own life. God will deliver me not just from the things done to me, but the things done by me. 
the crucified and resurrected Jesus is the just God coming to make his world right. He is coming to do it by making his people right, to make us right in standing before him and to make us right and to make us whole and to heal us before him. If your hope is anywhere besides Jesus, you have to turn around today. It's, it's not going to be the promotion. It's not going to be finally that person coming and saying, look, I was completely 100% wrong about everything. You were totally right. And now I'm really, really sorry. That's not going to remove your wounds. If you're, if you're banking on that other person getting hurt and getting squashed so they get what they deserve, it's not going to happen. It's not going to free you and it's not going to heal you. The only place, the only place you can be healed and set free is at the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus' hands. And if you are here today under the weight of your own sin, the ways that you yourself have been complicit and participated, today the news is just as good for you. You can be delivered that somehow the justice of God will work in your favor and set you free from a trap that you yourself has set. The goodness and the justice of God are a mercy that has surprised us all. So that even the grave where the teacher looks is to us a sign that God would conquer even that where we thought everything was sealed and finalized and done, Jesus stepped out of to say, let me show you what it means that this would be finished. Come put your hope in Jesus and receive the vastness of his great justice and mercy. Come for his people. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Our hearts are broken. That The world is so full of injustice and sin. We confess to you the truth that we carry the signs and evidences of it in our own wounded and broken selves. That we too, all of us, have asked, how can this be right? How can this ever be made right? God, we confess to you that we've been prone to hopelessness and despair at the state of things, the state of our own lives. We confess it to you, Lord Jesus. We confess to you that we also have sinned. We also have used the things at our own disposal to, to hurt, to trample upon, to intentionally and unintentionally wound those at our disposal. We have looked for hope and reassurance in ourselves. We have looked for hope and reassurance in our kings and our princes and the ways of this world. We have sinned, Lord God. And Father, I pray for all of those who are burdened by despair, who are burdened, weighed down, and overwhelmed by the wounds that this world has inflicted upon them. And Father, I pray that they would see afresh the split open body, the resurrected body of Jesus. The, the cross placed in the ground of history, they would understand, was for them 
and for these wounds, that by his own stripes we might be healed. Father, would you come and heal your people? For those who are here who feel the pain of their wounds, God, I pray that they would experience the healing that only comes in you. And God, may you be so gracious to us as to show us where we have sinned. That our eyes would be opened and we might have the opportunity, the grace to run to you with even those things and receive the mercy that flows like a river. Father, we thank you that this is available to us in Christ Jesus. I pray that we would be a people shaped by this kind of humility and longing and hope that is only in you, that you would be honored and glorified in this valley, that you would transform our neighbors, that you would transform ourselves. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your love. Amen.